Hello and welcome to the Rethink Missions podcast, stories and lessons from frontier missionaries to unreached people groups. If you are a church planter, aspiring church planter, or missions-minded believer, this podcast will challenge your thinking and encourage your heart. Here is your host, Jeremy Wardlaw. Welcome to today's episode of Rethink Missions Podcast. Today we're going to talk about church engagement, some of the opportunities and some of the challenges there. And we want to hear from someone who has a broad perspective. He's been involved with missions such as Gospel for Asia and Ethnos Canada. And we want to hear his perspective on what it is, what are some of the opportunities there and what are some of the challenges as we engage churches in the Great Commission. So maybe, Martin Lamb, could you just set the stage for us um, on your background, how you grew up, and your perspective on missions? Yeah, th- first of all, thanks for having me, Jeremy. Um, I guess I'll begin with just the fact that I'm, as I often introduce myself in churches, that I'm pretty mixed up. I'm from England. My family's British. I was born in Australia, so by birth I'm Australian. Grew up in New Guinea, Papua New Guinea. My parents were trial missionaries there with New Tribes Mission. So I lived there till I was 18, and then uh, I had actually, my education is American. I went to an American boarding school. And then I always say I finished well. I married a Canadian, so... <laughs> I can say that now here in Canada. and um, But yeah, then my wife and I, after a few years of marriage, we began serving with a ministry called Gospel for Asia, now known, now known as GFA World. So I was director of development with them for about 14 years. So that took me, well, right across the Canada. That's how I learned Canada, actually, from coast to coast by speaking in churches and networking with pastors and other orgs. And of course, it took me to places like India. And seeing the work there, especially the work of national missionaries who are being empowered to reach their own people with the, with the gospel. And then the Lord brought me full circle back to uh, New Tries Mission, which is now Ethnos Canada. And I serve as public relations director the last, I guess it's about, been about five or six years now, back with Ethnos Canada. Awesome. So you're pretty confused. You're from all over the place. <laughs> I am pretty confused, but you know, I've come to appreciate that in that I don't just see things from just one worldview or one perspective. I tend to see things from a multiple perspectives at one time. <laughs> yeah. And actually, that's sort of what I, why I wanted to talk to you today and, and learn from you because you have a broader perspective. You've been a part of two different organizations and interact with many organizations and you're trying to engage with local churches and get them engaged in missions. So that's sort of what I want to learn from you. What are some of the challenges um, with engaging in local churches into missions? Well, to be brutally honest, I think one of the saddest things is that I feel like in many ways the church as a whole has forgotten that missionaries missions is the primary task of the church. It's why God has left us here rather than taking us all to glory as soon as we're saved. Um, it's not just a side note, something we do on the side. Uh, it should be the heartbeat of the local church. And I think many would say, well, it still is. But I think part of that too is then, well, how do you define missions? Um, you know, it's almost like because everything has become missions, then nothing is missions. It's almost like, well, everybody's a missionary, right? We're all missionaries for Jesus. Well, then no one's really a missionary. Like, how do we define that? Um, 
So I think that's one of the one of the challenges is that just even the misunderstanding of so what is missions, you know? So um, you know, I'm you know, passing out gospel tracts next door, is that is that missions? Um, you know, I'm doing, you know, I'm helping with the local home shelter. All good things. Is that is that missions? Um, and I feel like in many ways the church also has become so focused on building the local church that we've forgotten our mandate to world to go and make disciples of all nations. Um, and so even in our educational system within uh, Bible schools and seminaries, uh, to be honest, one of the saddest things for me is to find out that uh, I don't know if there's any Bible college um, in Canada anymore that has a missions program. Or maybe there's a couple that have like a minor in missions, but where they used to all have, you know, a missions program. So I think some of it is just the challenge of um, even defining missions. What is missions? And is that even being preached from the pulpit? You know, the call to go into all the world for some to give their lives intentionally for pastors to be looking for those within the congregation that they can send. Can they send their best? Uh, These calls that are even coming from the pulpit, let alone our educational system. Hmm. So how would you define missions? You said mission, if missions is everything, then nothing is missions. How would you define missions? Well, I go back, I think the term even apostle means sent one. And I think it is, um, yeah, I think there is the challenge that we all need to be missional. We all need to be on mission. Um, it was Christ's idea to empower his disciples. He said, you don't choose me, but I chose you. And that you might bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. He's got, Ephesians says he's prepared in advance every good work for us to do. We all have a place uh, in his building his kingdom. So in that sense, we all are to be missionaries being sent out, whatever occupation we have. But I think there's also a unique role for those who are being sent from a church to go cross-culturally to another part of the world where they have not heard the gospel, or maybe they'll never hear unless somebody is sent to them. Uh, that's still the reality, you know, of of some close to 7,000 languages in the world today, almost 2,000 people groups still don't have the word of God in their language. Somebody has to go. You know, I served for many years with Gospel for Asia who were raising up the National Church. By God's grace, the National Church was there. You know, William Carey, Hudson Taylor, Amy Carmichael, they were the ones who were sent, and now a church was born. And now with Ethnos Canada, we're working in places where there is no church. We're going to learn the language and the culture of remote trial groups so that a church can be established and then to empower the national church. Um, so somebody has to begin that. Um, so somebody has to be sent. And I think of Romans 10 where it says, you know, how can they hear, how can they hear unless someone preach? How can they preach unless they be sent? And so I think we need to rediscover what it means as the church to, to disciple our people and intentionally look for those that God is anointing, laying his hands on to send them out as representatives of our church to um, serve with other churches, to serve overseas, to serve where they have never had the gospel. Mm-hmm. So being sent specifically to people who don't have a chance of hearing about Christ unless someone goes. To you, that's the essence of missions. Yeah, I think so, because you know, even when we're all called to be ambassadors, but um, there's ambassadors who are sent to a foreign country to live there to be that representative. And I think, I think it's actually the beauty of it. Yes, I do believe in raising up the national church. They're, they're well equipped to reach their own people. They know the language and the culture and they can't be kicked out in the same way that maybe a Western missionary could be. But also I think it's, there's nothing that show so declares the glory of God in the incarnation when someone of a foreign culture 
goes into a culture that's foreign and lives there. There's something that so declares the value of the gospel than that I'm willing to leave my home and my comforts to come to you because I have a message to give to you. Growing up in New Guinea, that was one of the things that amazed some of the tribal people. You'd come all this way to live amongst us. Why? Because we have a message that is from God that we want to deliver to you. So I think it's not one or the other, Western versus national. I think it needs, it's, it's both and. In fact, I think God delights, in fact, to get this job done, I think we're now in a place globally where in order for the job to get done, we're going to have to partner together. I think the beauty of some of our teams now in a place like Philippines or where have you, you've got Filipinos working alongside Americans, Canadians, Germans on teams doing Bible translation. You've got, well, what a beautiful thing that depicting the body of Christ working together. It's not one or the other, it's both. Mm-hmm. So it's not like Western countries don't have a place for missions anymore. Um, and neither do, uh, is it nationals that are just receiving missionaries? No, they're engaged now in missions as well. And you see that happening? Yeah. In fact, it's funny how what used to be receiving nations are now sending nations, right? The Philippines was receiving the gospel. We were taking it to them. But now the Filipinos are taking it to really the uttermost parts of the world. Places like Brazil where, you know, we're sending missionaries. We're still sending missionaries, but they're also sending their own missionaries. I mean, how beautiful is that, that we all get to take a part? And so... You know, I think when we begin to argue, like, you know, who's doing the job? Well, we all need to do the job. Let's work together to get it done. Um, I mean, the scripture says that the Lord is long-suffering towards us, not wanting that any should perish. He's patient with us. He has a job to get done, and when it gets done, he will return. Um, But that doesn't seem to be the primary motivation of the church in Canada anymore. We're so often so focused on, like I said, building our own churches. And sometimes I think we've forgotten that we exist primarily for this great commission to go into all the world. Uh, there's a reason why with a new transmission existing for 75 years, we changed our name to Ethnos Canada because the term Ethnos comes from the, so we get ethnicity or ethnic from. And nearly every time you see the word nations in the New Testament, it's, it's Ethnos. And you can't help but read scripture when you understand that and realize there's a cry right throughout the pages of scripture for all ethnos to hear about Jesus, all people groups. When uh, Jesus said, you know, go make disciples of all nations, it was the word ethnos. When he said in Matthew 24, 14, this gospel must be preached in all nations and then the end will come. It's the word ethnos. At the end of the book where you see that beautiful scene in heaven where John is writing, and he saw some from every tongue and every tribe and every nation, every ethnos, every people group around God's throne. So that's our desire to see every eth- That's what drives us, to see that every people group has an opportunity to hear. And um, I feel like somehow we've kind of lost that. We'd, we'd argue, sometimes we'd rather argue about how do we define people groups than actually going to them, you know. What's, what defines a people group? Is it 11,000 in the world today? Is it 13,000? What ethno-linguistic barriers are we going to include in this? You know, the fact is the Lord desires every people group to be reached. And that involves Bible translation. And sometimes we in the West are more equipped for that. But we certainly, certainly need to work alongside our national brothers and sisters to get that done. What would you say to the perspective out there that nationals are actually better equipped to reach the people within their borders and more efficient. That's a perspective that's out there. What would your thoughts be to that? It's a very good question. 
Um, but to be honest, I would, I've come to the place where I say, well, we're all nationals. You're a national Canadian, right? Um, so if I'm going to, if I'm a national Canadian working with a national Filipino to work in a place like Brazil with national Brazilians, we're, we're all nationals, right? And so sometimes I think we, we come from this argument and we run with it. And it's like, so when you say define national for me, I am a national, right? I'm actually a national from England who is actually a national from Australia by birth, now working as a national in Canada, <laughs> you know, so how do we define that? Yeah, I think nationals who speak a language certainly have a head start. They know their culture. Um, and that's where I go back to what I was saying. William Carey, Hudson Taylor, Amy Carmichael, these are the ones who planted the seeds of the church in Asia. And now, we, yes, we can empower the national church, but it doesn't mean there's not a place for Westerners. We're all nationals. I think the beauty of it is when nationals come together to get a job done. That declares the body of Christ and the glory of God through his church more powerfully than anything. What a testimony when nationals are working together. So let's let's do it together. Let's let's be wise. Um, you know, the whole thing, the old argument, you know, best bang for the buck. Stay home and send your money. But God might be calling you to go to a foreign nation. He might not be calling you to send any money. He might be calling you to go yourself. And so to think that it's all about the money. When we, 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 when we do that, we lose sight of the fact that God is interested in building his church and his people. And often he calls us to hard places because he has the work to do in us. He's got a work that he wants to do in us, a redefining, sanctifying work in us by inviting us into his redemptive journey. And he's calling us to lay down our lives for the sake of another people group. We miss out when it becomes this transaction of just, we'll stay home and send your money. And so I don't think it's just as simple as national versus Western, like I said. I think we're losing sight of the privilege that we have to say, here am I, send me. And that the Lord's the one who determined before we were even born the good works he'd have us to do. And yet we've made it so transactional that we actually take the joy out of it. And it's more like a business mm -hmm. than the fact that we're a body working together, each part playing its part so the body would grow. And we lose sight of that when we start making it about these arguments. Hmm. I've never actually heard it described that way, where it's transactional rather than the body working together. But that that really does seem to describe um, a perspective out there. It is from a transaction perspective and not a life perspective or a body working together, all its different parts, which is what we're described as. Exactly. The body of Christ. Yeah, exactly. And I do think we're in danger too, because we live in a world today with so much information. I mean, you can be here, you know, at push of the button, you turn the television on through your iPhone, you know, you can, whatever channel, you can hear about news that's happening on the other side of the world. And so we have so much information. And I think that it's also a danger sometimes because a, a term I heard once was, we're ever informed, but seldom transformed. Um, I love the quote from Vance Habner, who was a, a pastor preacher and quite articulate, but he said, we're like, we're like Bible window shoppers, often rummaging around the storehouses of God's truths, ever appreciating, but seldom appropriating. And it's almost, we can numb ourselves down into thinking that we're doing something because we know about it. Oh yeah, I know about that. Oh yeah, I heard about that. Or I've got someone, oh, yeah, I've got a family who's involved in that. And this is like, well, what are you doing? You know, like I was uh, talking with you earlier before the show about the term slacktivists. 
how with social media now you can have people sitting on a comfy couch eating their hamburger and french fries acting like an activist over the you know with some soapbox that they're on but they're not actually doing anything they're just speaking into some concern about some social issue what are they called slacktivists and we can have all kinds of information but like a stagnant pond with information flowing in but not flowing out and um, like I said, we actually numb ourselves down into hypocrisy because we're actually not doing anything with what we've been given. Even the principle of spiritual growth is to the measure that you use, it'll be measured to you in more in abundance. What you do not use will be taken away, Jesus said. So that's one of the things I see that makes me saddest across, particularly the, well, the Canadian landscape as I travel, to see we have so much information. We have more books and Bibles and New Testaments and Christian radio than much of the world combined, but what are we doing with it? Right? And we're going to stand before God, not with an, our brother or sister. We're going to stand on our own and to give an account for our lives. And like, what are we doing with this knowledge that we have? And um, so I think even, like I said, sometimes the fact that we have all this information, um, we need to be careful. Of, well, what are you doing with it? Mm. Mm. That idea of a slacktivist. <laughs> I wonder if this podcast is guilty of producing that. <laughs> More information out there and you care about it, but don't do anything about that. I hope not. Yeah, no, it's, it's funny how we can all, uh, um, I'm guilty of the same thing. We all have an opinion about something, right? But, but you know, it's, it's like, you know, you can curse the darkness, but why not be the one to light a candle, right? Mm, so. so as you, um, as you think about Canada, is the challenge, are the challenges in Canada in getting engagement um, like churches engaged in missions, are they unique to Canada? Or are they comparable in other um, Western countries? I think you're seeing the, uh, like the res missionaries being sent is, is other countries that are actually taking over now. Um, you know, the global South or other terms has been given um, where Canada, the United States have significant roles. And now you're seeing, like I know, even our own training program here, we're seeing less and less Canadians involved and trying to figure out why is that? And I think some of the challenges is just with this new generation, the lack of commitment um, to long term um, that we're the lack of willingness to sacrifice. But even simple things like the debt that people come out of co college with. Huge debt. And so, you know, if they wanted to get involved, they're now got this huge debt to pay off first. I think uh, the challenge of we live in such a comfortable society that parents, Christian parents, pastors aren't challenging their people into missions. It's, you know, and many parents would actually want to keep their kids from missions. Go get a nice job. Go get a degree or a career. But the fact is, missions can be a career choice, a fantastic career choice. I, the, the privilege I wake up to every day that I get to do this, right? I, I get to my career as one of seeing uh, the lost reached around the world, the nations I've been to, the people I've engaged with. Some people would, would dream of traveling like I get to travel, you know, um, but being able to do it for the Lord and to see, to touch so many lives that outside of the call of God in my life, I wouldn't meet, have met thousands of these people, but I've had, that I've had a part in their lives because of God's call in my life in this way. And so it's a privilege. It's not something that is like a, a burden but sometimes we treat missions like it's this burdensome task the church has been given. You know, oh, I hope God doesn't call me. You know, we shrink down the pulpit when the call comes out. But what a privilege to be called, to be, give your life, to see an unreached people group reach. So I do think we have some challenges because we live in such a culture of comfort and ease. 
and even our, the push towards getting a nice education, yet how many people are coming out with debt and they're not even serving in the, the degree that they went through for? It's becoming more and more common. Um, so I do think we have some challenges that are unique to the West. Um, I also think that God is moving in different ways. He's, if Canadians aren't going, he's going to raise up other people. He will get the job done. You know, I was joking with my colleagues recently. I think we should have hashtag Canadians are called too. Because it seems like we're seeing less and less Canadians. We're not the only org struggling with this. Uh, Canadians who are willing to commit their lives to be trained. You're going to go through four years of college for some kind of occupation. Why not go through, go through 18 months of our training to be equipped to be a cross-cultural church planter? You know, you're not going to go with ethnos. Go with, it'll help you be a better pastor. It'll help you be a better missionary in your own community, in your church just to have that cross-culture. I mean, the, the nations are coming to us. That's what makes Canada unique. We're now, now number five on the world stage as far as people groups represented within our borders. So I think God, in his sovereignty, if we're not going to go to them, he's going to bring them to us, right? And so I think that's happening too. And we need to be willing to engage with these nations as they come to us. They're, in many ways, they're more open to the gospel here than they would be in their own home countries. Um, so yeah, there's some similar challenges that are common to the West, I think. Um, the biggest thing for me is like, regardless of the nature of our world today, um, it's our privilege. Why would we want to lay aside our privilege that God is still calling Canadians? He still wants Canadians to be involved in his great commission. You mentioned a couple of times how personal debt can be a barrier to people going to the mission field. And that's not the first time I've heard this. I've heard sort of the two biggest barriers is personal debt coming out of college and a relationship, a significant other who doesn't want to go. And maybe you could talk about what does it take for a young person who feels like they really want to do missions and maybe they're going to go to university first or college or whatever. Um, what would some words of advice be to them to, to keep on that path? That's a very good challenge. And I have had those conversations with the young people. Uh, and that's where I'd say, if you feel this calling in your life, the distractions are going to be many. In fact, the enemy would want to keep you from going to the mission field. So be, be first of all, be aware of the enemy's schemes. It's going to happen. And you may have those who you thought would be with you who actually come against you. They may be your own family members. So be aware of that too. Uh, don't be surprised by that. Also, surround yourselves with other like-minded people. Because they're few and far between. So get engaged with, maybe you're on a university campus, and I love what Power to Change is doing, working with college students. In fact, desiring intentionally to, as they disciple young people on college campuses, to then send them to these orgs out into the corners of the earth, to challenge them to do that. Um, so surround yourself with a group like that, that is like-minded, so that you have that accountability to keep pursuing in that direction. And also, I think there's so many things that the world esteems and values, like degrees and beautiful homes and comfortable careers. And, you know, maybe the world esteems those things, but I, I wonder how much God esteems those things. And that there's nothing to substitute from a close walk. I know that personally, from a close walk with the Spirit. Because the gifts and calling of God are not to repentance. He doesn't change his mind. So if you get drawn away from a clearer calling, well, God doesn't change his mind. And uh, to stay close to the Lord, because it can be a lonely walk. 
and um, to encourage yourself in his word, but to stay close to his, his spirit, to walk in the spirit. There's no substitute for that. Um, I, I, can, I can grow as easily distracted as the next person and to grow weary and tired, and it is a battle. Um, so to, be, to have all those things in mind um, and then to find those people, like I said, who will walk with you and encourage you to keep you accountable and um, to invite people to pray for you. Uh, prayer is such a powerful weapon against the enemies. So the more people are going to be praying for you, even begin your journey before you maybe even started raising support or even know where you're going to begin to have people praying for you. Mm-hmm. That my goal is I go into college. Yeah, I'm going to get a degree so I can be used as a nurse or a doctor over in the Middle East or wherever it may be. But pray for me. This is my goal. Can you have people who start to journey with you in that way? And for anyone out there listening that's in thinking that's impossible to graduate with no debt. It is possible. I did it. I graduated with $9 in my bank account, but wow. no debt. And then um, went on through Bible college and then the the 18-month training here. So it's possible, but um, and it definitely took support and a good community, uh, a church behind me that was encouraging me and connected and that sort of thing. Um, you talk about commitment and how um, it's hard to get people to commit to this sort of task. Maybe talk a little bit about why do you think that is and how could that, how could someone's perspective um, latch on to this idea of being committed I think it be, it goes right back to well, you and I are talking, you know, lunch earlier, uh, having served in places like um, Southeast Asia, where the persecuted church um, cannot choose Jesus flippantly. When they come to Christ, they count the cost at the very beginning. In fact, it's going to cost them everything. So it's not a flippant choice. And I think because they get that cost settled at the very beginning, it defines the rest of their lives. Whereas here in the West, it's almost like we can have our cake and eat it too. Right, so it's just like we it's like we we're almost deciding every day how much we want to count the cost. You know how much I really want to be yielded to Christ. Nothing's no one's going to put me in prison if I follow Jesus. You know I'm not going to be lose my family and those kind of challenges they face in some of these other countries. And so, like I said, they count the cost at the very beginning. It defines their lives. Whereas we're trying to decide every single day how much we're wanting to lay down. And I think it makes it harder for us. Because a constant choice, like we're battling our flesh in different areas. And um, like I said, we're not going to be put in prison for it. So I think when you come to a place of truly surrendering your life, and I'm not talking about salvation, because we sometimes find it easy to trust God with our eternal, eternal salvation, and yet we can't trust him with our everyday lives. And it's a strange phenomenon that we struggle with. Um, but uh, that... It, Colossians says, as you receive Christ the Lord, so walk in him. How did you receive him? Well, totally by faith, nothing of myself. How do I walk in him? Totally by faith, nothing of myself. As you receive Christ the Lord, so walk in him. It's the exact same thing. And and so, like I said, there's no substitute for a close walk with the Lord. And as you walk with the Spirit, um, one of my favorite, my, what's my life first? Trust in the Lord with all your heart, from Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Lean not on your own understanding. Lean not on your own understanding. We're we just so naturally prone to leaning on our own understanding. We don't even realize how much. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will direct your path. Do you believe that? I remember crying out to God early in my years and saying, God, you said this. If this isn't true, then none of your word is true. 
Like, I don't want to lead in my understanding, but I'm acknowledging you. You've got to direct my path. And the Lord actually directed me in a total different direction than I ever thought I'd go. But he brought me to a place that, Martin, do you want an Ishmael or do you want my Isaac? And we can all create Ishmaels, our own work of the flesh, if you will, rather than God's given desire. And um, it's easier to create an Ishmael. In the power of the flesh, we, I think much of what we're doing even in Christendom is the, is the work of the flesh. We're doing it in our own strength and our own vision and our own desires and actually building our own kingdoms. And we're really saying, God, I don't care what it costs. I want your Isaac, whatever it costs. There's a poem I heard years ago. I think it's anonymous. and It's the Lord talking. And he says, I looked for one who would watch and wait for my beckoning hand, my eye. And work in a manner the work I give, and the work I give not pass by. And oh, the joy that is brought to me, when one such as this I can find, a man who will do all my will, who is set to discover his master's mind. I love that line. Oh, the joy that is brought to me, when one such as this I can find, a man who will do all my will, who is set to discover his master's mind. And honestly, I think those kind of men or women are few and far between. Who's like, Lord, I don't care what it costs. I want your will. I want your heart. That's where it really begins. Because once you have a surrendered life, he's able to lead you and guide you in ways that you never thought. I didn't plan most of my life. Where I was born, how I was raised, where I am today. I received it, if you will. I think if you just sum up the Christian life, it really can be something with that word receive. What do we have we didn't receive? It all comes from him. So surrendered life. It comes back to that, right? And so I think as you do that, he'll direct you in mission where he'd have you. Mm. So you talk about receiving so many different people in, in Canada and the U.S. and other nations are receiving people groups from all over the world. What is the best way for a church and an individual in a church to connect with those people? What are some strategies they could use? Well, I think of um, even in our training with Ethnos, of course, we're sending missionaries to the far corners of the earth. But the first thing we do is whatever time it takes to learn their culture, to be learners. We come in with our own ideas, whether we're going overseas or even in our own backyard, we have our own ideas and we don't take the time to learn their culture, to learn their language, how they speak, what makes them tick. And I find most of these cultures are very very receptive if you want to get to know them. Um, in fact, they're coming many times from a very communal culture to ours where we're very independent and they think we're rude and unfriendly. And so I'd just say, get to know them mm. and how they tick and how they think. And, you know, over time, you know, you'd have opportunities to share the gospel, but it's got to be very relational. And um, we can offend them very easily just because we don't know their culture. And so we need to be learners. And I think there's also ways to serve them because they have needs when they come here. They might not even know how to speak English very well or go to the local, local shopping mall or how to get their license or do banking or, you know, churches that have equipped them with like ESL teaching English, learning English, sorry. Um, those are great needs that you're serving them. But then through serving them in that way, you can begin then to impart the gospel as you're teaching English. Uh, so finding ways to serve them to welcome them. The, they are the strangers in our midst and to recognize that God has brought them here. I love the verse. I think it's Acts 17 or Acts 19 
where it says God determines the boundaries of the nations that men might seek him. This is not by chance that, you know, this globalization and uh, urbanization, and now this immigration and refugee crisis is bringing all the nations here. This isn't by chance. It didn't happen by accident. You know, it's God who determines the boundaries of the nations that men might seek him. It's God who's given us this opportunity. So let's not waste it. Like I said, it's amazing to me that, you know, in years past, we would count the cost, whatever it took, to send a missionary to the far corners of the earth. Back in the day when my parents first went, it was by ship. You know, you didn't even know, your relatives never even know if you got there safe till like months later when they finally got news back that you even arrived in the land you were going to, uh, which for my parents was New Guinea. But nowadays, you can, you know, of course, travel has made that so easy, but we'll do whatever it took to send them to a foreign mission field, and yet we won't engage with them now that the foreigners are in our midst. Like, we're without excuse. And so I think, again, the same thing. Think like a missionary. Learn their culture. Learn their language. Learn learn how... And I, by language, I don't mean... Yeah, sure, learn some, learn some of their words. They always love that. Greetings and things like that. But I mean, learn how they think. Learn how they communicate. Get to know them. And then as you reach out to them and they feel your love, you'll have opportunity to speak. And they'll begin to ask you about your culture and find ways to serve them. Mm. Some good some good thoughts out there for those of you who are, you know, in a neighborhood with and it's multicultural and you want to reach out, think like a missionary. This isn't your home, this is their home, and you need to learn about them and how they they um how they think, how they interact, and that's sort of a different position to put yourself in to realize that you need to take the learner's perspective, even though this is your home to cross that barrier to, to reach their lives. And it'll enrich your own life. It really does. I'm so thankful of the, like the many worldviews that I have come from my upbringing uh, to, to see that, well, there's not only one way of looking at the world, one way of viewing things. And so it is quite an education. It's a beautiful education. It becomes, you know, all these cultures, it's like a kaleidoscope seeing from many different colors and learning to appreciate that. And even to appreciate the differences rather than being threatened by them. We, our initial response tends to be threatened by those of other cultures rather than, like I said, uh, appreciating uh, their differences. So how long do you think it would take to go from starting a conversation and getting to know someone, learning about them, to a point where you feel like you can start to share about who Jesus is and who God is? How long to get to that point? Honestly, I think it's going to be different for every person. You never know how open they are or what previous experience they've had. And I've seen many different things. I remember a, a, a family that moved into our neighborhood. Uh, very quickly, we got into conversation uh, just because just by talking about, without trying to, just by talking about who we are, what we did. Oh, you're a missionary. That, of course, that opens up conversation sometimes. It's like, well, Or not even saying I'm a missionary because sometimes I'm careful not to use that term. I don't want to create barriers ahead of time. But it's like, so why were you growing up in, growing up in New Guinea? My parents worked there. What did they do? And sometimes it leads to that. And so you can have very natural, don't hide who you are or what you're doing or the fact that you're involved in a local church. They might ask about your church. So that can really depend on uh, the person you're talking to. I don't think we should uh, presume or assume ahead of time, but you never know how open they are or what previous experience. You might be the seventh Christian in the line that God's brought to talk with them like, and uh, so they're becoming already uh, more open to the things of the gospel. But also, it can take a long time. 
um, with some who um, from some religions that are more hardened or closed, it can take a very long time. But I said one of the best ways to do that is to learn about them, show an interest in what they think and what they believe, what makes them tick. So some final words of advice for us. If there's um, two categories of people out there, one is the the missions-minded person that is wanting to get other people engaged in missions. And the other person is the person that isn't really thinking about missions seriously, um, but maybe they're just considering what missions is all about. What are some words of advice you'd give to those two types of people? I think the first word of advice would be to both of them to get to know their Lord and Savior. Uh, it's his heartbeat. And I like what John Piper says, that missions exist because worship doesn't. The reason missions even exist is because you look throughout, whether it's our neighbors or even a world away across the oceans, missions exist because worship doesn't. There's only one name worthy of praise and worship, and it's Jesus. And yet there's idols being worshipped. There's those who are animists who I grew up with worshiping the spirits of their ancestors. They live in such darkness and hopelessness. Uh, missions exist because worship doesn't. And I think as we get to know the Lord of the harvest, we find out that he is the greatest missionary of all. He left his home in glory. It's, like, so I, it's amazing to me when I've heard some Christians say, well, I'm not really into missions. Well, that seems like a bit of an oxymoron to me. How can you not be into missions? Your Lord and Savior was the greatest missionary. He calls us all into missions. And so my challenge, like I said, would be to know, know his heartbeat. Because where, when you, you, know, you can't play with water without getting wet. And as you engage with the Spirit of God and his heartbeat for the world, and you see from the pages of, of Scripture, God's heart for all ethnos, all people groups. And maybe it's not even your heart and say, but Lord, change my heart. And maybe you begin by just praying for some people groups, educating yourself. Where your treasure is there, where your heart be. Or maybe you begin by investing in some missionary and engage with them because where your treasure is there, where your heart be also. So we really aren't without excuse. We can all do something. We can pray, we can give, we can go. Be a part of it. I guarantee when we stand in heaven, one of the saddest things will be where we look back and say, oh man, if only I could have lived my life differently. You, know, you heard the statement, "'Tis only one life, it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last." We can say that flippantly, but we're so busy doing so many things. And let just eat. I would challenge everyone to take an inventory of their life. Look at the things that consume their time, their emotions, their energy, their resources, all of who they are, and evaluate in the light of eternity, what am I living my life for? How much of what I'm living for now has really any eternal value? Just, just do that own inventory. Without me even saying anything more, you do that inventory. How much you live for now has any eternal value? And as you look at that, God himself might then begin to work in your heart and say, that needs to change. Mm. And it's not always where we spend our money. It's where we spend our time. Because you can save money to make more money, but try and save time. You can't save time. You can only spend it. And how we spend our weeks, how we spend our days, and how we spend our weeks and our months is how we're spending our lives. You can never get it back. Like, how do you spend your last week? You can't go back and change it. It's written in time and eternity. So how are you spending your time? And how much that time is focused on things of eternal value? And I think that should cause us to change. When we evaluate our lives in the light of eternity. Hmm. Limited resource time, right? Exactly. Yep. 
Thank you so much, Martin. This has been awesome to hear your story and your perspective. And to all of you out there in the trenches, God bless. We're praying for you. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the Rethink Missions podcast. For more information and episodes, go to wmissions.com. If you like this episode, leave us a positive review and subscribe 